Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, in honor of Thanksgiving, I have a segment about the origin of giving thanks, and then an analysis of the word Thanksgiving itself. As we head into America's annual Thanksgiving holiday— a day set aside for being thankful, it seems reasonable to wonder how the idea of thanking and its requisite polite form of thank you evolved. It turns out the type of politeness and gratitude that plays such an important role in modern society didn't emerge until individualism and free will became prominent parts of our cultural psyche. Thanking, a verb that's been around since Old English, tells us that expressing gratitude has long been part of English society. What has changed more drastically over time, though, is who we thank and why. In texts from Old English that spanned the 5th to the 12th centuries, we find a noun form, thunk, and a verb form, thunkian, that both carried the meaning of giving thanks. In addition, the noun thunk could also mean thought, since the word came from a root in Proto-European, our ancestral language, that meant think or feel. Good feelings or thoughts towards someone were interpreted as gratitude, which is how the meaning of thanks seems to have evolved. However, in its earliest usage, thinking wasn't routine like it is today. In fact, because early English culture was based on the very strong Germanic values of kinship and obligation, people did as they were expected given their relative rank and position in the family and under their lord or king. In the days where blood feuds settled scores and disobedience resulted in exile or or worse, no one expected anyone to be thanking them for taking out the trash. Instead, we find thank and thankian used much more often in reference to giving thanks to God rather than to other people. For example, many of the early uses of these words are found in Gospels or in other religious references from Old English. As the early Anglo-Saxons converted to Christianity in the 7th century, doing one's duty had become bound up with ideas of God's will— 
So God was viewed as the appropriate target of thanking for gifts that were bestowed or people that did you a good turn, like offering you protection or sharing the spoils of war. Viewing God as the appropriate recipient of thanks when things go well isn't so far afield from how we got to Thanksgiving celebrations in the New World. A similar motivation to give thanks to God is what drove the early Thanksgiving feasts in the 16th and 17th centuries, and it was also integral to George Washington's proclamation of a day for public thanksgiving and prayer in 1789. Today, this type of God-directed gratitude is echoed in verses like, Thanks be to God, which we often hear as part of modern religious services. But how did we go from rare and religious thanks to the modern thank you that we throw around so easily today? Well, a somewhat more modern approach to manners and courtesy was introduced into the English court when the French-speaking Normans took over in 1066. During the ensuing period, showing verbal deference and respect to those of high rank became important. But even with this turn toward politic behavior, expressing gratitude to each other, using the phrase thank you, didn't really get going until after about 1400. Both the shortened term thanks and thank you are first found in literature from the 14th century. And by the 16th century, we see that thanking directed at individuals becomes much more common. Shakespeare, for example, frequently used phrases such as great thanks and I thank you. And in a study that examined differences in rates of thanking terms from 1560 to 1760, Shakespeare's era appears to have been the high point of such polite expression. This same study also found that in early modern English, thank you was used only to express genuine appreciation. In contrast, in modern English, it can also be used as a perfunctory way to close an interaction, such as saying thank you to a barista as they hand off your latte, or when accepting a compliment or proposal, as in, great job on the report, yeah, thank you. It appears that only once thanking expressions became formulaic and ritualistic, which seems to have taken place around the 19th century, did we start using them as ways of ending interactions and signaling acceptance, rather than just expressing gratitude. But while thanking was very common in early modern English, saying something short and conventional in return, like, you're welcome, wasn't at all. In the research I just mentioned, only five gratitude responses were found over the entire period, but as we near the 18th century, we find that extremely long and elaborate forms of responding become par for the course, as were paragraph-long expositions that were very ceremonious expressions of thanks, like this example from a paper by Tavitsinen and Jucker. Sir, your goodness hath forced me to a silence that I am not able to render you sufficient thanks for so great a favor. As with our abbreviated thank you, ritualistic gratitude responders, things like you're welcome or no problem, didn't become part of our regular gratitude routine before the 19th century. This is likely because up through the 18th century, politeness was more focused on ceremony and courteous formality and directed particularly toward one's social betters. In our modern politeness culture, we've shifted toward using polite speech that recognizes and tries to offset the potential for imposing on others in a more democratic way. 
In earlier periods, obligation was part of one's lot in life, and personal freedom much less valued. So politeness routines in those eras reflected a focus on ego enhancement and deference. For example, my kind sir, I am but your humble servant. As class differences decreased and attention to individual rights and free will increased, we spent less time flattering and more time making sure we didn't step on each other's toes. The increase in expressions like no worries or no problem over the past century reflect this shift in our attitudes toward politeness. Now we're paying attention to non-imposition instead of deferring to social superiors. Does this mean we've become less polite? Well, not really. It just means our focus has changed from valuing social regard and submission to valuing egalitarianism and individualism. Whether you consider this to be more or less polite is really a question of relativism. In the end, gratitude seems to have been part of English since English began. What has changed is what we most value and to whom we direct our thanks. The lesson being that giving thanks doesn't have to be the same thing or involve the same linguistic practice for everyone. Though the who and the why might have changed over the centuries, the history of the word thanks shows us that gratitude is simply having good thoughts and feelings toward one another, something it seems we could all use a bit more of every day and not just on the holidays. That segment was written by Valerie Fridland, a professor of linguistics at the University of Nevada in Reno and the author of the forthcoming book, Like Literally Dude, all about the speech habits we love to hate. You can find her at ValerieFridland.com or on Twitter at FridlandValerie. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then with phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. 
because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. I hope all of you in the United States are planning to have a happy Thanksgiving, or as some like to say, a happy Turkey Day, or as I like to think of it, happy gerund appreciation day. What better time to appreciate the English gerund than on a day that's been singled out for giving thanks, and whose name is a gerund? A gerund, in case you're wondering, is a noun formed by taking a verb and adding the suffix ing. The gerund form of give, for example, is giving. And if you're a true grammar lover, you may remember that the ing form of a verb can also be a present participle, another funny sounding name. This is always true, even for the most irregular verb in the language, be. The form being is both a gerund and a present participle. So how can you tell whether you're dealing with a gerund or a present participle? Well, it's not always easy. In fact, some linguists even argue that it doesn't make sense to have different names for these verb forms, and that we should just call the ing form the even longer and funnier name a gerund participle. For now, we'll just stick with gerunds and leave present participles for another episode, such as the old episode on dangling participles, episode 688 from May 2019. Now, the gerund may be a noun formed from a verb, but that's not the end of the story. Even though a gerund is a noun, sometimes it acts more like a noun, and sometimes it acts more like a verb. Here's a sentence with a really nouny gerund. The skillful diffusing of the bomb saved the day. The gerund is diffusing, and it's part of the gerund phrase, the skillful diffusing of the bomb. The gerund is acting particularly nouny in this sentence on three counts. First, the whole gerund phrase begins with the definite article, the. Definite articles usually come before nouns. Second, diffusing is modified by an adjective, skillful, instead of by an adverb, and adjectives usually modify nouns. Third, the object of diffusing shows up in a prepositional phrase, of the bomb. Of is the preposition that heads the phrase, and prepositional phrases that start with of usually follow nouns. Now we'll rephrase the sentence to have a more verby gerund. Aardvarks quickly diffusing the bomb saved the day. This time, the gerund phrase begins with a possessive noun, aardvarks. But that's actually not what makes it more verby than nouny. In our earlier example of a nouny gerund, instead of the diffusing of the bomb, we could have also said aardvarks diffusing of the bomb. The real differences start to show up with the word that modifies diffusing. It's an adverb, quickly, not an adjective. And adverbs usually modify verbs, not nouns. Finally, the object of the diffusing, the bomb, comes right after the gerund, just like it would after an ordinary verb, not packaged inside a prepositional phrase, like the one that started with of in our earlier example. These characteristics of nouny and verby gerunds don't mix for the most part. You can't say the skillful diffusing the bomb or aardvarks skillfully diffusing of the bomb. 
I mean, you could, but it sounds really bad. This is the kind of thing that linguists mean when they call something ungrammatical. Not that it sounds slangy or improper. It's that it just doesn't work. Having nouny and verby gerunds allow some subtle shades of meaning to be conveyed. For example, Aardvark's skillful diffusing of the bomb suggests that we're talking about something that actually happened. But Aardvark's skillfully diffusing the bomb could be referring to something real or hypothetical. You can do even more with gerunds, too. You can say, Aardvark is good at diffusing bombs. Or you can put the direct object, bombs, in front of the gerund to make a compound noun. Aardvark is good at bomb diffusing. Now, you might be wondering why we say bomb diffusing instead of bombs diffusing. Well, it's just a rule for compound nouns in English. The noun that modifies the other noun is usually singular. But one exception that comes to mind is Thanksgiving. We don't call it thankgiving. There goes English with its exceptions. And direct objects aren't the only thing you can use to make a compound gerund, either. You can use objects of prepositions, too. For example, you could talk about sitting on a fence or fence-sitting, dancing in a square or square-dancing, breathing through your mouth or mouth-breathing. Now, here's what I think is the most interesting thing gerunds can do. These gerund-based compound nouns can create new verbs. Take a compound gerund like cherry-picking. It's composed of two parts, cherry and picking. But you can also break it into two parts like this, cherry-pick plus the suffix ing. And since ing is a suffix for verbs, cherry-pick must be a verb, right? Presto! A new verb is born, and we can talk about bad scientists who cherry-pick their data and insurance companies that cherry-pick the healthiest customers. Linguists call this kind of process reanalysis. It also happens with agentive verbal nouns such as bartender and babysitter, and has given us numerous verbs such as bartend, babysit, windsurf, and Christmas shop. The new verbs aren't always pretty, though. One of my least favorites is problem-solve. Not every compound noun with a gerund gets reanalyzed, though. I get some pretty strange looks if, as my family gathers around the dinner table, I say, let us thanks give instead of let us give thanks. And I will give thanks for all of you who listen to this show every week. That segment was written by Neil Whitman, an independent writer and consultant specializing in language and grammar and a member of the Reynoldsburg, Ohio School Board. You can search for him by name on Facebook or find him on Twitter as Literal Minded and on his blog at literalminded.wordpress.com. This week, I don't have a familect story for you. I'm all out of stories. So if you've been thinking about calling, now is a really good time. Or if you've always been wondering why your family says some odd thing, maybe you can talk about it at Thanksgiving dinner and come up with the story and then call. And if you're thinking, hey, I called and you never used my story, well, please try again. There are two reasons I can't use calls. The first and most common is bad audio. Don't call with multiple people using a speakerphone, for example. And make sure you're in a quiet place and speaking clearly and directly into the phone. And second, occasionally someone will call and not tell me the story. Like they'll just say, our family word is flugity-florp, and then not tell me why, and that's not very interesting. So please try again. You can call the voicemail line at 833214-GIRL. And now there's also a link in the show notes that you can use to record your message through your computer or your browser.
And thanks. I know people love the stories every week, so please do share yours. Grammar Girl is a quick and dirty tips podcast. Thanks to my audio engineer, Nathan Sams, and my editor, Adam Cecil. Our ad operations specialist is Morgan Christensen, and our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin, who's currently prepping their second fusion dance DJ set. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings, and our intern is Cameron Lacey. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. That's all. Thanks for listening. Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music. Discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album, and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple App Store or Google Play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. <laughs> 